Hey everyone, it's Abadesi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. Today, I'm joined by Marcus Taylor, the founder of Venture Harbor, a digital product company based in the UK. It's launched nine digital products over the last few years, generating millions and millions in revenue. He's got a core team of six with up to 30 contractors supporting at any one time. And Marcus recently became the youngest patron of the Prince's Trust charity, donating £100,000 to support young entrepreneurs across the United Kingdom. In this episode, we discuss how he's grown the audience of his websites from zero to millions over a matter of months, why he believes bootstrapping is the only way to build a business, the tools and tactics he uses to keep his team motivated and ship products on time, and how he invests in his own personal development. This is a must listen, full of actionable advice and unusual insight. Startup bookkeeping and tax prep can be a real pain. Pilots founders would know because they struggled through it themselves with their previous two startups. Three years ago, they set out to build the bookkeeping and tax service they wish had existed for them. Pilot makes bookkeeping and tax seamless, easy, and accurate by pairing you with your dedicated account manager who takes the bookkeeping and tax prep work off your plate every month. They're aided by Pilot's powerful software tools to make sure the work is incredibly accurate every time. And they're on hand to answer any questions you have. Pilot is built by startup founders for founders. See why startups trust Pilot for their bookkeeping and tax prep. As a listener of Product and Radio, get 20% off your first six months of Pilot Core at pilot.com slash product hunt. Marcus Taylor, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Product Hunt Radio. I'd love to go ahead and just give you the floor so you can tell us who you are and what you're working on. Sure. So thanks for having me on the show. Um, Yeah, so my name is Marcus Taylor. I run a company called Venture Harbor. So Venture Harbor is a, we're a digital product company. Um, What that means, basically, every year we build a new online business and all these online businesses are highly automated. So we've built, I think, nine different uh, different online businesses. Um, the latest one um, actually went on, on Product Hunt, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's a productivity app called Serene. This is so cool. So you said you've done nine products already, was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So... Um, I feel like we're at this stage now where so many digital products are being launched all the time, some from indie makers, some from maybe more sophisticated um, studios like Venture Harbor. Where did the idea to start creating these highly automated products in quite a structured way come from? So it it wasn't it wasn't always so structured, but um, I to be honest, like it it kind of comes from like I've always since I was kind of a teenager, I've I've always just dabbled and built built these kind of various like weird and wonderful projects. And um, Venture Harbor kind of started very um, like there was no sort of big plan to start Venture Harbor. It's just. When I was 18, I was working for a, a digital marketing agency and I'd go home every night and just build different experiments, different tests, different products. And I got to a point where I was earning more more revenue from all these kind of projects that I'd built on the side 
than my actual job. And so Venture Harbor was started out of necessity because I legally needed this kind of holding company to, to put these in. Um, so it's, it's really just always been this kind of natural curiosity of just, I like, I like shiny stuff and I like to kind of start new projects. And so Venture Harbor is very much kind of just playing into that. That's so cool. So I think it'd be awesome to maybe turn the spotlight onto Lead Formly, which, if I'm right, launched in 2016. Was that the product that you made whilst working full time that made you think, I'm onto something? Because, I mean, just looking at some of the stats, you know, you grew your website to like over a million visitors. Um, you were able to increase in conversions up to 700% through A-B testing. Tell us more about that. And like, at what point in your timeline this happened? Yeah, so lead formally was an interesting one. It was kind of it. It sort of happened about half, like halfway through the journey. So, the story behind lead formally was we we were working on one of our other ventures, which randomly was like a, a financial comparison site, and we because it was in the finance space, it was so expensive to to buy traffic, and so we obsessed over A/B testing and, and increasing conversions. And one of the things that we spent a lot of time focusing on was was improving the forms. And I think over the period over a period of like two years, we ran something like fifty A/B tests just on forms. Wow! And so we got to a point where like we were we just knew so much about how to increase form conversions, and we were slightly blown away. Like I think our our conversion rate went from like eleven percent to fifty four percent just just by testing the form. Um, and so lead formally was kind of built because we were, we were quite frustrated. We were, we had, by this point, we'd spent, I think like $8,000 building this like amazing form that converted so well. And it took like two, three months of development time. And we just wanted like a simple kind of, uh, like WYSIWYG editor that we could just build forms in and kind of have them quickly. So we built it for ourselves initially and then kind of put it out to the, um, see if other people found it useful. So this is kind of like how a lot of our ventures sort of seem to happen. It's like we're working on one venture and then we, we discover a problem and then we solve that problem. And then it's like, oh, new venture. I love that. Well, I mean, you know, if I've learned anything from interviewing dozens of incredible entrepreneurs and investors on the show, it's that you should always solve problems that you're personally affected by because you're in the best position to do that. So that's you acting out that exact advice. Um, so just sticking a bit on lead formally, you touched on a point a moment ago that I know impacts a lot of people in our community, and that is getting the right audience to your product. So you mentioned how um, you were working on a, a separate product, a financial comparison site, and you found it really expensive to buy traffic because it was a finance audience. I think maybe for entrepreneurs who are are still a bit earlier along in that journey. Could you just like share a bit of insight into like what you mean when you're saying buying an audience and then how you approach thinking of different ways to build an audience? Sure. So in this instance, we were we were experimenting with buying traffic through Google AdWords, which is something that honestly we've, we've never been able to really crack. Um, I know a lot of marketers do extremely well from AdWords. But it's just something we've never really been able to do too well. Um, but where we've, um, for a lot of our ventures, how we've been able to kind of build up build up audiences for our products, like I'm, I'm such a huge believer in creating content in the same way that we we build products. And if you look at Venture Harbor, Lead Formally, um, 
serene like any of our ventures so much of the the audience um, for those products was built through blogging and content marketing but i think we the approach that we take is pretty unusual um because it, invariably what you find with like any kind of blog or kind of content uh marketing thing is that 80% of the audience will come from one or two pieces of content so so much of what we've we've been trying to do is figure out like what one piece of content can we invest like 100 hours into and treat this like a product make this absolutely incredible and what we've kind of found is that's that's been how we've been able to unlock like a piece of content that generates hundreds of thousands of visits every month and then we can obviously in, like insert our products or um, funnel some of those <clears throat> those visitors into our, our products. Incredible, incredible. And so um, just to kind of like dig a bit deeper into that, uh, we do similar stuff here at Product Hunt. So I'll tell you about our process. I wonder if that's similar. We'll often look, and I'm talking about myself specifically, I'll often look at Google Analytics. I'll look at what people are doing to land on producthunt.com forward slash makers, which is the community where all of us are discussing our projects and what we're working on. Is that the similar intuition that you follow where you say, oh, what is that one blog post that we have that's bringing people to our page? Yeah, absolutely. So it might be sort of Google Analytics or if you don't have the content already, um, there's lots of tools like SEMrush, Hrefs that you can use to find what what keywords could we rank for in Google that would bring us, you know, 100,000, 200,000 visits a month. And so like one example that um, that we did was I think I think this is back in 2014. We we created this piece of content around like you know ten best email marketing tools, and um, and it still ranks I think number one, number two in Google today for email marketing tools. But since like since 2014, we've we've probably invested like 40 hours a year, kind of updating and refreshing this content, and it's it's now kind of like this incredible piece of research. Um, and so it's, it's sort of like unsurprising that it ranks so well because all the articles that we're competing with in Google have maybe been kind of written, you know, someone has probably invested two, three days writing them. They're good content, but it just doesn't kind of compare to, you know, this piece of content that we've probably invested like almost 200 hours in over five years. Um, so, and because email marketing tools is such a high volume keyword, we're able to kind of capture quite a lot of traffic from that. That's incredible. When you say we, could you tell us a bit more about the Venture Harbor team and how each of you work together? In our community, we have quite a number of solo founders and they're people who um, are software engineers uh, who are happy to do some of that product design. Some of them are using no-code tools, um, but also a lot of them are just operating in teams where they might be coming up with vision and strategy and then hiring uh, someone with the tech skills to cover the coding, someone with the product design skills to lead on UI, and maybe even leveraging either like agencies or contractors to help with that launch strategy and digital marketing stuff. I'd love to hear a bit more about how the Venture Harbor team works. Yeah, so we're, we're quite, we're a little bit unusual because obviously we've got all these different ventures at kind of different levels of maturity. So they're all kind of operated slightly differently, but generally like the, the structure of Venture Harbor is there's um, six people on the core team. Um, and those six people will work across kind of all the different ventures. Um, it's very kind of ed- engineering heavy. So we have like CTO, front end developer, back end developer, head of product, um, myself, and then a, a marketing, marketing manager. 
Then we have kind of between at any given point between sort of say like 15 and 30 external kind of contractors agencies um, that we can kind of scale up and down depending on like which ventures we're working on, what the kind of goals are at, at the time. Um, but if we sort of look at the product lifecycle, like all the ventures typically start in a kind of solo founder, like small team way w- with this kind of like no code, like prototyping that you that you mentioned, like often we sort of like will build kind of these little like hacked versions of, of ventures together, keeping the team very, very small. And then it's sort of just over time as that product that venture matures then we sort of start assigning more people and uh, building teams around those ventures that's brilliant it's always nice i think to just hear a bit more about how people actually get stuff done because i think a lot of the time we sort of see the end product uh, and we hear about the results but then we we don't necessarily like know the like operational things going on behind and that that is really helpful i think also just to put things in perspective because a lot of the time there are people that are operating as a team of one, <laughs> competing with a lot bigger teams and, um, you know, resources go into these successful products. And like you said, you know, to be able to spend 40 plus hours a year tweaking one incredible piece of content takes a combination of expertise, but also the time to apply the expertise. So that's really helpful. I wanted to talk a bit more about your role as head of product and specifically what you feel is the most important thing that you bring to the table. The reason I say that is because we're all involved in product in some way as makers, whether we're the ones who are coming up with the idea, whether we're the ones that are just making sure everyone else building in the team has the things that they need to keep going, whether we're the ones that have those success metrics in mind and putting them at the forefront. It'd be great to hear more about what you, as the lead on product at Venture Harbor, keep in mind when you're pushing out all these new products all the time? Yeah, so I, I kind of have three um, priorities, things that I, I look after at Venture Harbor. Um, one is setting the direction for the team. So I, like I will kind of say, this is where we need to be this year, next year, the year after. So very much kind of making sure that the, you know, the, the kind of weekly, daily, quarterly um, stuff we focus on is aligned with kind of long-term where we need to go. Second thing that I, I'm kind of responsible for is the ideation and the innovation process around generating new venture ideas. So I, I will very much kind of ensure that each year we're generating enough ideas, creating enough prototypes for new ventures to ensure that we, um, so we have a rule that every year we need to generate a new venture and that each venture we build has to be more ambitious than the last that we build. So that's my kind of um, responsibility to make sure that happens. And then finally, the the third sort of role that I play is very much just coaching. Like I, in the early days, I, you know, I was very much kind of um, wearing all the different hats, marketing, building the ventures, as a lot of solo founders do, kind of just taking on all, the, all those roles. But since like now we've kind of assembled this, you know, amazing team of people now it's like my role is largely just sort of taking a step back and supporting this dream team to kind of for them to achieve their objectives. So a lot of it is just kind of coaching and facilitating them to to achieve what they need to achieve. Amazing. It's incredible that you bring that up because um, I would say that at least two or three times each week in product hunt makers discussions, someone who's also in a leadership position like yourself will ask a question about 
how to motivate their team or how to get the best out of their team. And I feel given you do a lot of coaching yourself, as you've just said, it would be wonderful to hear about some advice that you can share around that. So, um, you know, you've mentioned that you want to be able to take that step back and allow all the individuals in your team to operate at their best. What are ways that you you practice that? Like, what does that look like in in reality? Sure. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of different like pieces to the the puzzle. Like, we use a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of tools involved. But I, I guess like taking a step back a little bit. Like, one thing that we've done, we've sort of put into place uh, this year um, that's that's had a really surprising um, impact. Is is really kind of nailing like what is what is like Venture Harbor's vision? What are our values? Like, what do we collectively care about? And what's the kind of big picture for where we're going? Um, vision and values were one of these things where like, I always kind of, you know, you, you sort of hear, hear them and you think, oh, that's a little bit, um, like not, not something that would be kind of too pragmatic or valuable. Um, but it's been so surprising and having the whole team kind of really sort of on the same page with like, okay, this is like the big thing we're going after, um, has just meant that like people can make their own decisions. They're, they're excited about the kind of, um, and it, it makes the sort of like the day-to-day, week-to-week cadence make a lot more sense because suddenly it's connected to this big picture. That's awesome. And then like, as you're building, I'd love to hear about some of the tools that you use. Like, are you using like Trello or like Kanban boards? Do you have like daily stand-ups? Do you just sync over Slack? Are you on Zoom calls? At Product Hunt, for example, we have dedicated Slack channels for every project. So the people that are working on that specific feature or update or launch will, will all be in there. And then we have a dedicated channel just for our updates. So we all use a standard template to talk about what we work on last week what we're working on this week raise any blockers when we might be out of office and then every monday 9 a.m pacific time we jump on a zoom call uh, and we just go over our metrics and then we get new updates across all the different projects just so everyone's on the same page and has visibility what does that look like for you and your team given you're often working on a lot of different projects at different maturity with contractors full-time folks yeah, so we, we, every Monday we have, um, so we follow like a sort of hybrid version of the EOS, uh, traction system. Um, so every Monday we, we have our kind of weekly, um, team meeting and it's how that kind of works is like we have a, a Google sheet where each column is like, it's a very, very structured kind of format. It's like we, everyone on the team has to like list all of their issues. Um, we, we go through like a scorecard of like everyone's kind of objectives and KPIs and the kind of, the key point there is like, no one is allowed to discuss their objectives. You can only say like green, I'm on track or red, I'm off track. And then everything then gets discussed. We then use, um, status hero as like our, um, so in Slack status hero, basically because everyone has like different tools for like tracking tasks we use like jira we use trello product guys have like their own sort of stuff we use status hero and that basically means like everyone can use what they want but it it will pull in automatically like if a developer has you know done 17 like jira tickets today it will automatically without them having to like go in find them and update it manually it will just pull in all that activity and just say okay like this developer has done these 17 things today and is doing these uh, four tasks tomorrow and that's been really effective it's just a level of automation that 
keeps everyone kind of in the loop with what everyone else is doing. Really helpful. At home, at work, on the go, we rely on data. But today's cyber threats are too powerful for traditional backup and antivirus defenses. Acronis True Image delivers modern cyber protection, combining the fastest backups with AI-based cybersecurity that stopped over 400,000 ransomware attacks last year. Visit go.acronis.com slash product hunt now to save 30% on Acronis True Image and enjoy easy, efficient, secure cyber protection. Hey, this is Abadesi, and I want to tell you about a new tech news podcast from Recode called Reset. It's hosted by Arielle Duem-Ross, former science reporter for The Verge and the first climate change correspondent on American Nightly TV News for Vice News Tonight. Every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, Arielle will explore the unexpected ways technology impacts our everyday lives and how tech is fundamentally changing our humanity. From authors using artificial intelligence to write novels, to biohackers altering their own DNA, and hate groups using cryptocurrency to fund terrorism. These days, every story is a new story, and Reset is going to show you why. The first episode of Reset is available now. Subscribe to Reset for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'd love to go like a sort of like higher level for a bit and purely out of curiosity, really like understand maybe some of like the the values or principles that you you believe in or, or you stick to that might be a bit more like unconventional or um, that might just differ from some of that more mainstream and common stuff. The reason why I ask that is because you know, you've achieved an incredible number of things. You've launched so many great products. They're all sustainable businesses that are generating revenue. You're hiring people and building teams. And you're certainly not, uh, let's say, the most conventional founder, right? In the sense that you decided to not go to university and instead just start mar- uh, start your digital marketing job. And it was actually while you were there, as you mentioned earlier, that you then started building products um, that started making more money than your salary. It kind of just kept going from there. I grew up in the kind of household where there was no option to not attend university. For my parents, they, you know, they were immigrants in America and they just sort of felt, you know, you've got to get an education Obviously, things have changed a lot since then, particularly within our industry technology. The barriers to entry are so low. So it could be that, for example, a piece of advice that you hold that isn't necessarily the most conventional is you don't have to go to university if you have different passions and are building stuff. But I just wondered if there were any other like notions, ideas or or thoughts that are often in your mind that might not be the most commonly held views. Yeah, so the the one that kind of springs to mind that I I feel very strongly about is is I'm I'm very kind of for bootstrapping and and very kind of against the the traditional model of um, raising money. Um, so all of our ventures are completely bootstrapped. I started Venture Harbor with five hundred quid in my bank and a broken laptop. We've never raised any money for any of the ventures, and and frankly, it's not a you know it's nothing against. Uh, the sort of the investment community it's it's more 
I, I just find like so many friends in the kind of startup world just spend so much time like messing around with spending that kind of first crucial year or two of the startup kind of messing around with cap tables and pitch decks and high-fiving each other when they raise money when it's like i i just believe like so strongly that if you had spent that time listening to the customers and really sort of letting your customers be your investors and building something that they are willing to pay for you'd be in a far better position um it just it just makes a lot more sense to me i think it's far more sustainable and forces a level of kind of urgency on getting product market fit that you just don't get when you sort of go down the raising money route. Yes, I love that. It's so interesting because there is absolutely an opportunity cost that comes with fundraising and all the things involved in that. Just as you said, spending time on pitch decks. I remember you know, three plus years ago when I was fundraising for a business. And every time, you know, you go to meeting to meeting or call or whatever, you're tweaking your deck, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're reading articles, you're reading books like Venture Deals. It is all consuming. And you're absolutely right. You know, that is that is time that could be spent talking to your users and improving your product. I think that's really, really great advice. I just wonder then, sticking on this theme of, you know, these ideas that you hold firm, um, how would you describe your leadership style at Venture Harbor, you know, what are the things that are important to you to ensure that the company keeps growing? You have these really lofty goals of ensuring that every year you're building a product that's even more ambitious. I would imagine you're also aiming to grow on other metrics like revenue, etc. Like, how do you invest in yourself to make sure you are in a great position to lead on these things? Yeah, so like at a at a tactical level, um, there's a couple of things I do. I have um, so I have a, a coach. I normally have coaching sessions like at least kind of every two weeks. And one thing that I've kind of noticed around that is changing who that coach is. Like every one to two years, that's that's probably been the single most valuable thing I've done. Like I literally can kind of sort of see like the the four decisions that my coach I wouldn't have made had my coach not been there like literally has kind of resulted in six seven figure that you know just wouldn't exist um without that so coaching I'm, I'm a I'm a huge believer believer in um I also kind of make sure that every year I have a goal of like doing at least three events where that are overnight for like my own personal development the overnight thing is important to me because it you can go to kind of conferences, like daytime things. and But I find like when you go to overnight things, it's just so much more immersive. And just it, it's why like I personally, like I love reading books slowly because I, I like to be kind of immersed in a topic. And it's not so much about like just getting through the content of a, of a book or of a conference. I, I find a lot of value in just like spending time, like grappling with a topic for two, three, four weeks so like immersive learning is a big one. But at a day-to-day level at Venture Harbor, I, I try to be very hands-on. Um, so I see like my my role at Venture Harbor very much as, as I mentioned, like a supporting role to the team. So I will spend my afternoons coding or building A-B tests or, um, you know, whatever I can be doing because I, I don't want to lose that sort of connection to the product. I want to still have empathy for the user's problems for the process of building the products um and all like i just love learning like i love kind of i love the constant sort of challenges that come with 
you know, being in the trenches, building a product. So I, I find that sort of as much a valuable thing for me, but also just the learning and development that comes from that and empathy with the team is massively valuable. That's incredible. Um, I'm a huge fan of learning too. I'm a very curious person. Um, and I want to talk a bit more about how you apply immersive learning in your life because with events, for example, I actually find myself going to fewer events because I find that I'm not necessarily getting the most value out of them. But you mentioned that you, for your own personal development, love to go to um, these overnight events. Could you give an example of the type of conference where you feel that you're getting the opportunity to, to grow your skills? Yeah, so uh, it's always a bit of a, a learning process. Like I, for example, last week I went to a conference that was an absolute waste of time. I thought it was going to be incredible, but I... I ended up just sort of not like so like I you know I don't always get it right but the one that I've done this year that's been insanely valuable is um, so I'm part of a um, organization called EO Entrepreneurs Organization and through EO they have a partnership with MIT and so um, I'm currently doing their like entrepreneurs MBA program so like every year I'll go to MB to MIT and they do like a kind of four-day like intensive sort of mini MBA program and that's incredible because you just have so many like all the speakers are like best-selling authors and it's it's just kind of half the value as well is just you're surrounded by other people that are doing incredible things and so like another one I'm really curious about is microconf um, which I think is all about like bootstrapped SaaS businesses um, I've heard nothing but amazing things about that so but yeah, it's, it really also kind of depends on like, what are my, what are my current objectives? What are, what am I kind of, what do I need to learn? Often there's a difference between what I need to learn and what I kind of would like to go to. So it's sort of just observing that really. That's so cool. Out of curiosity, if you weren't running Venture Harbor, what would you be doing? Honestly, I think I, like I love design weirdly. Like I, I'm, design and automation are like my two favorite things like and and this goes to kind of a slightly extreme level like i'm currently building like a weird automated like home security alarm that plays like pink panther if like motion sensors are triggered uh, like slightly ridiculous stuff but i like i love the kind of i love just kind of solving problems in like a smarter way and, and also just love design i'd probably be like i don't know some kind of hybrid like architect interior designer or something that's kind of along those lines that's so cool great um i also wanted to say because you mentioned that you like reading books and particularly like reading books slowly so you can really immerse yourself in them i'm guessing you don't have blinkist app then um but um i actually what... do oh do you <laughs> I, I, it's it's like the app that i love and hate the most <laughs> um yeah i know so it's really funny because i i'm similar to you i kind of think if someone's gone through the trouble of writing a book i can go through the trouble of reading every word and when someone first recommended blinkers out to me a part of me was just like no I, I'm not going to to use that app but then I you know I interview people for the podcast all the time and some of them have written loads of books and it's actually really really useful but I spoke to someone on social media and they said for them it's actually like quite a nice little like teaser that then inspires them to go out and buy the book and read it in full so I, th I now see it a bit like that yeah I a good friend of mine who's like a, a prolific reader I, I was speaking to him recently about like like he's he's kind of just got this insane process for like how he categorizes books and, and stuff so I was, I was asking him about it and he said he he like looks at books in like three categories you've got 
you've got like primary books, which is like, you know, the book probably should have been like 2000 pages, but the authors had to condense it down to 300. So an example of this might be like, I don't know, like Robert Cialdini's influence. Like that is probably, he has probably had to condense so much research to, to create that kind of classic. Then you've got your like secondary books, which is like most business books fall into this. It's like they take something like Cialdini's influence and then they're kind of like uh, extrapolating stuff from it and applying it to like a concept. And then you've got tertiary, which is kind of just more like storytelling, like Malcolm Gladwell, um, more anecdotal. And so my friend was kind of saying his process is he'll read primary books He'll Blinkist secondary books and then he'll also read tertiary books, which I love. Like that to me makes so much sense because the secondary books, like they are absolutely well designed to be shortened into like a 20 minute summary. I like that. I think I'm going to copy that. I think I'm going to steal that because what I find is that when I buy secondary books, a good example would be something like that book, One Thing. I mean, most productivity books, I feel, fall into this because ultimately there's like a finite amount of productivity theories, right? And I find with those kinds of books that you sort of read the first few chapters and then they feel repetitive because they're just like hammering the same theory in a different way way. Um, but that's really cool. Um, while we're on the topic of books, because I know we have a lot of book fans in uh, our community, is there a book that you've read in the last year that you really wish you had read earlier that you thought was so valuable, so interesting that you wish you had stumbled upon it earlier in your entrepreneurial journey? Yes. So I read Getting to Yes only recently. And it's, it's one of these classics that um, I've, I've heard about it so much for years, but I only just got around to it. And weirdly, like it's been super, super practical and, and helpful from a business perspective. Like um, it, it's the long and short of it is it's it's kind of about a different approach to negotiation. Um, so very practical, very useful. But wherever, <laughs> weirdly, like my um, fiance and I um, were planning our wedding at the moment. And it's, this book has been like incredible at planning a wedding, <laughs> like strangely, just like so, um, because she's Australian, like working out, like, is the wedding in Australia? Is it in the UK? Like all of those kind of like high stakes conversations. Uh, this book was just like amazing at, at kind of breaking that all down and making that a lot less difficult. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I feel bad because I've just got married myself and now and now I'm like, why didn't I read that book? Also because I've been given this book at least twice because in my previous roles in tech companies, I've always been in business development. And I've like read the first chapter and then just like skipped to the chapter summaries and been like, okay, cool, I get it. Um, and now now I feel some regret. So I'll make sure I pick up my copy off the shelf and actually flick through it. Um, that's awesome. Okay, so now we get to go to one of my favorite parts, which is talking about products. You've already spent a bit of time talking about the products that you use in your team to ship stuff, which is incredible. Uh, but now I'd like to find out about your personal favorite products. So first of all, do you have smart devices in your home, like voice assistants or anything like that? Uh, so I have uh, Alexa connected to Philip Hugh. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And is Alexa something that you, you and your partner use regularly? Not really, to be honest. We, we sort of use it like, um, so I got in trouble like, recently because I have it like automated to play like jazz at like five o'clock every day. And I didn't, we, we went to Australia for a month and our like friend who was house sitting while we were, we were away, we forgot to tell her that small detail. And so she thought our cat was like playing jazz every day. 
So this is this is like yeah, like when automation goes a bit a bit wrong. But yeah, we just use it for like kitchen timers and music and that sort of stuff. Okay, cool, incredible. Um, let's talk about your smartphone now. What smartphone do you have? Um, it's about to change. So I've got a uh, a Moto Z Play, um, but I've actually got a. Have you heard of the Light Phone? Yes, we we I we've talked about it a lot on Product Hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's on order. So. Because I, I understand that like the light phone is is a bit of a like takes a bit of getting used to. I've I've installed like an app on um the Moto Z Play called Less Phone, uh, which basically like strips away it, it simulates like stripping away the operating system. So like now I don't have like any apps on my screen. Like my phone literally just says like messages, phone, two factor authentication. They're like the only three things that I can access. So, I mean, like, I'm a massive productivity nerd and, like, obsessed with this kind of stuff. So, but when the light phone comes, the idea is that I'll have, like, that will be my day-to-day phone. And then my Android will be the sort of, like, you know, if I go, if I need, like, maps and Spotify and stuff, then I'll use that. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. I'm, I've been tempted by the light phone in the past, but I just felt that, well, I mean, I actually did a poll on Twitter and was like, should I, should I do it? And everyone was just like, don't get a second device. But I totally understand your intuition with this because it's not like having a second device, is it? It's like very limited and you sort of decide what it gets to do. I actually I've like put myself on the email list for the, the Nokia phone that's coming out soon, the flip phone, because I think we are moving towards that more like mindful way of engaging with our gadgets where it's like, no, you know, most, most of the time my phone's on do not disturb anyway with no push notifications coming through. Um, but that is very cool. So since you will have no home screen when your light phone arrives with your current Android phone, what are the apps that have made your home screen? Honestly, it's, it's those, it's those three. I have messages, I have phone and Spotify, nothing, nothing else, nothing else gets, um, gets on there. Do you even have Instagram or any social media profiles? Nope. <laughs> wow. No, so this I've... is how you get stuff done. <laughs> Like I've done a few things like in the past where I've like like time sheeted my day like a lawyer and just like just kind of like recorded every time I I switch tabs like writing that down and and then questioning like why did I switch tabs or why did I do that and it just it just made it so obvious like phones are such a bad idea for like <laughs> like I I ended up like with Serene um the the app that we built like I ended up like building a a webhook that every time like I went into this like serene mode, it would fire like um, a webhook to Zapier or if this and that. And then that would put my phone like on do not disturb mode. Um, and that was kind of useful, but I like when I'm working, like my phone is either off or in a different room. And that's what kind of makes me think like the light phone is possibly like the right way to go. Like I, I just don't, it's just too much of a distraction. Yes, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I also keep my phone in another room when I'm working and it's it's actually incredible, like the days where you just sort of like either leave your phone at home or like consciously leave it in another room, like how different they play out. Longer chunks of focus time. Um yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, Marcus. Well I feel like you've given us a lot today. I'm very grateful for that. For folks that wanna find out more about you, obviously not on Instagram or anywhere like that, but more about you, Venture Harbor, the things that you're working on, where should they go? Yeah, so the best place is probably ventureharbor.com, um, which then has kind of links to all the the various different ventures. 
Um, but the the only other one I'd probably mention is um, if anyone's interested in trying Serene, it's at sereneapp.com. Um, and also I think on Product Hunt, uh, if you search like for me, Marcus Taylor on Product Hunt, I think it will be somewhere on there. And there's a like free account on there as well. Oh, very cool. Okay, I need to get on that. Um, actually, given you mentioned that every year you work on something bigger and better, have you decided what you'll be working on for 2020 yet? Well, so we've got like a, so not yet, we've got our winter retreat coming up. So we, we like go away twice a year for a retreat, which is normally when the, the new venture magic happens. Um, so we've got that coming up, which will probably be sort of when we figure out the 2021. But I think, I think at this, like a lot of 2020 is going to be kind of getting serene to product market fit and sort of figuring out where that goes. And then there'll be like a new venture in parallel that we'll, we'll build alongside it. Wow, that's so exciting. Well, I cannot wait to see what happens. I'll, I'll make sure I follow you on Product Hunt so I am aware of every launch. Um, Marcus, thank you so much for being on the show today. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.